This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. From Jordan-Hare Stadium to Auburn Arena. From the Plains to the recruiting trail and all points in between. If it's Auburn, we've got it covered. Did I say War Eagle or War Eagle? That's it? War Eagle. This is the Auburn Undercover Podcast with Brandon Marcello. Hey everybody, this is Brandon Marcello. This is the Roundtable, joined by Jason Caldwell and Mark Murphy. Uh, guys, a uh, lot of stuff going on as usual. We start getting into near the March area. That's when things start kicking up. Spring football still around the corner, but we got basketball going on, baseball, softball, uh, football offseason changes, new additions, departures as far as support staff and even assistant coaches. But I want to start with basketball, obviously. That's the hot topic. Um, Auburn, two-game losing streak right now without – Isaac O'Curl, the freshman phenom. The Tigers lose at Georgia, Georgia team that only had two SEC wins. Tigers played better defense than they did at Mizzou. They held Georgia to 65 points, but they just they haven't been able to shoot the ball very well uh, in these last two games. Uh, I believe the last two games combined, they're shooting like 11% beyond the arc. And the stretch goes even further back than that. The last two and a half games, going back to Alabama, the, it increases a little bit to 16%. But, um, man, no one's really been able to take over a game and lead Auburn over the hump. Javon McCormick tried against Georgia, but then he kind of was quiet the final few minutes of the game and no one else could step up. Mark, you were there in Athens. Um uh, just what's going on with this team right now as we uh, get down the stretch with five SEC games remaining? Yeah, I agree with you that the defense is certainly better than it was at Missouri. Uh, I mean, it's basically huge issue of just not scoring 55 points is not going to win an SEC basketball game unless the circumstances are really extraordinary. And uh, 12 of 74 in the last three games shooting three-pointers, and that's not going to get it done. They had a game – not too long ago where they made 18 three-pointers. And I think this team, the way it's built, needs to make somewhere around six, seven of three-pointers to have a good chance to win the game. And if you do that, you make people spread out a little bit and gives you room to get the ball inside and score, which is what they do better uh, than anything offensively. And, uh, uh, you know, other than Javon McCormick and Samir Dowdy, uh, they just haven't been real good offensively. Austin Wiley has done some good things scoring, but he's just not getting the ball as much as he needs to. And part of that's his fault. He's He's got, when he gets an advantage situation and they try to get the ball to him, he's got to hold on to it. He's got to be strong. 
and get the ball up before somebody comes in to strip him. And, you know, the scattering reports out there in the SEC, while he likes to bring the ball down low, yeah. that's when you can take advantage of him. If you let him get down low near the basket and don't get it, don't attack him quickly, he's going to score. So, uh, you know, I think the other big issue is just not having Isaac Okoro out there the last two games. I think he's one of the best players in the league, and he's a real downhill attack the basket type of player. He can make a three occasionally, but that's not his strength. His strength is just beating guys one-on-one. And when he attacks the basket, you better bring some help. If you don't, he's going to score. And if you do bring help, he's got uh, the ability to throw the quick pass out to a wide-open teammate. So, uh, uh, you know, big question is, when's he going to be back? And, uh, you know, I asked Bruce Pearl that question after the game last night. He said, look, he said, we'll just – we're going to wait till he's healthy. And, uh, you know, hamstrings are tricky deals. Uh, if yeah. you try to come back from one too quick, you're going to be out for a lot longer. Yeah. For me, with or without Isaac Okoro, obviously you're much better with him. But you can't have 36, basically 36 combined minutes from, from Daniel Purifoy. Mm, you're right. For more and have uh, two points and five and six rebounds. Like you. This team, you're not going to win games unless those guys give you something. And and lately, they've been giving you nothing. And and you've got to get something out of them. And that's I think we saw Jalen Williams much more last night than we've seen him really all season long. And Bruce Pearl is going to look at if if you're not going to deliver, then we're going to look at somebody else. But those guys, because they're two of your better three point shooters too. If they're not giving you anything at all right now, then then it's going to be tough to beat anybody. And then Alan Flanagan. You know, they need some more offense out of him. Now, he's never going to be a big offensive guy, but when he gets the ball down low, he needs to finish or else get fouled and get to the line. And the, the bench was just non-existent as far as scoring production for, for either team in the Georgia game. Georgia had four points from its reserves. Auburn had two. So, uh, you know, a lot of the games Auburn's played well this year, they've done – very well off the bench. And, of course, it changes the dynamic without a Coro out there. But still, there's plenty of talent on that bench to, to score more than two points and and get a few rebounds. Yeah, Jalen Williams came in, like Jason said, and played uh, more than he has. Uh, it was about 16 minutes, if I remember right. And, you know, he didn't look like he was uncomfortable out there at all. Um, he's got a lot of offensive game. Didn't get much of a chance to show that against yeah. Georgia. If he gets to play more, uh, I think we'll see him score. He's got a nice mid-range jump shot. He's strong around the basket. Uh, his big issue has been defending. He had a couple times where he got lost uh, in that game uh, Wednesday night defensively. But overall, he wasn't a, a huge liability. And, you know, like Jason said, if, if Purefoy's not being productive, I mean, you got to look at some other option there. Purefoy played 17 minutes and 45 seconds. He was 0-3 shooting uh, all three pointers two two at the foul line and he's been really good rebounding normally this year he just mm-hmm. had three rebounds in that game so um he was minus 17 when he was on the floor in the plus Ooh. minus category that was the worst of any player in the game yeah um that's that's very interesting points you guys bring up about purifoy and how they've got to get some production out of him and and there for a stretch you know especially in those overtime games you count on him hitting maybe a couple three-pointers and kind of sparking things, spreading things out a little bit, and we haven't seen that as much from him here of late. 
And you would think, as Bruce Pearl, I, I just listened to him on the radio last night after the game. He said, listen, Icicle Curl is out, but what a great opportunity for someone to step up and to be able to try to take over and fill that spot. And no one's been able to do it as far as trying to replicate that production, but also just you're getting more playing time and, you know, it just hasn't been working out, whether it's Alan Flanagan or, or even Jalen Williams a little bit. Last night, though, I thought he did very well. Um, he had a really nice rebound, uh, I remember, uh, on the Georgia's end in the second half where he just kind of pierced through the, the defenders to get, to get it. But um, this team just kind of seems out of sync. I mean, you could just see it on offense. It's just... You know, you get so used to seeing this being a team that makes that extra pass, gets someone open, and too often now I think we're seeing them get down in the half court and nothing's really working, and then someone has to jack up a shot, or it it just doesn't look it just doesn't look right in layman terms, I guess you could say. And then a, a couple guys off the bench that are definitely out of sync offensively right now are Jamal Johnson and Devin Cambridge, and uh, they yeah. both have plenty of talent to shoot the ball, particularly three-pointers. Cambridge was an 0-3 um, on three-pointers against Georgia. Jamal Johnson was only in for seven minutes because he was having some issues on defense. He took one three-pointer, and it was way off target. And, uh, and, you know, you can go out there and practice and watch Jamal Johnson shoot three-pointers and make them one after another after another. And he's got to take that to the games on a more consistent basis. It uh, was interesting they also played a Babatunde stretch hack and bowl about a minute right before halftime. And, uh, I mean, the guy is a really good defensive player. It's going to be interesting to see if they use him a little bit more down the stretch. they got five games left in the regular season, even though Bruce Pearl, I think, is confused <laughs> on the schedule. Again, last night he said, we've got seven games left in the, uh, in the schedule, and that's not the case. So, I mean, Maybe he could see in the future. He sees Auburn it. winning two games in the SEC tournament. Yeah, that's that's it. That, maybe that's it. But, uh, uh, you know, the important thing is, you know, figure the, out what's wrong on offense. I think they, they were fine defensively against Georgia and, uh, and then come out against Tennessee and, and score some points because you know it's going to be a physical game and they're oh, going yeah. have to have to really get after Tennessee to win the game. But it's – you know, if Okoro's not ready to play, it would be foolish to, to stick him out there Saturday. And the main thing is to get him ready for the SEC and NCAA tournaments. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think a lot of Auburn fans, just from reading our message boards, it certainly seems like they are very understanding of that. Like, listen, you got to rest them, rest them for the postseason because that's what matters right now. You know, um, not to say fans have given up on the SEC race, but push them too fast and you still lose the SEC and then all of a sudden you're not able to play him at all in the SEC tournament, NCAA tournament, and then he's gone to the NBA uh, potentially. So rest him up, see if you can get him healthy, and meanwhile try to develop that depth as you guys have been saying. I mean, um, you know, Stretch is a guy that Bruce has even mentioned, I think uh, two or three games ago, that he was thinking about playing him and he didn't, he didn't, and then we saw him for a minute uh, against Georgia. So that'll be interesting to watch if, say, an Austin Wiley gets in foul trouble um, against Tennessee or any of these games remaining in the schedule if he uh, gets put on the floor. So we'll yeah, see. And, and then I, I think you look at the effort. You know, Jalen Williams played really hard last night in that yeah. first chance. Getting back at home 
it makes sense that that it's going to be an easier transition to be playing in front of the home crowd. Uh, if, if we mentioned those two those two seniors, if those guys continue to to not produce, hey, this is going to be a good opportunity. And you know something else to me too that I look at with this team and and just kind of wonder about is so much of the grind this year, so many close games. And when's the last time that Auburn had a chance, even in the last two or three minutes, to put reserves in? I mean, it's been a long time ago. Every game's been a grind, and so. Um, that's a lot of wear and tear on your legs when you throw in four or five overtime games to the mix. And where does that first show up? It usually shows up shooting jump shots. And this yep. team has struggled in that area lately. I just wonder if they're a little bit leg weary and, and can they get those legs back under them? To me, that's one of the things that, uh, that, that'll be telling uh, to see if they can start to kind of get some hot back in, in, in the jump shots a little bit. Yeah. That's probably the last time they were able to get some reserves in the last couple of minutes was the Georgia game back in early January. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, every other game's been close, or uh, even the Mississippi State game where it was double digits. It you know wasn't a blowout, so to speak. So they had to keep playing, playing the starters, uh, guys. So <clears throat> with the unknown, with with Isaac Okoro, um, five games remaining. Uh, Tennessee starting up here Saturday. Of course, they've still got to go to Rupp Arena. Um, how do we think these guys finish out with these final five games? I know it's difficult to say with not knowing a, a Coro status, but um, you know Tennessee. At, I, you know I don't think anything's a must-win at this point. Auburn's in the NCAA tournament, but as far as staying on that four-seed line, I, I think that beating Tennessee would be a must, especially with this schedule coming up. You know, it's going to be important to try to get your seed up. You don't want to be in the middle seats this year for the NCAA tournament because there's so many good teams out there. I don't see any really super teams out there maybe maybe san diego state is they're better than a lot of people realize and gonzaga is really good baylor is really good kansas is really good but i mean there are a lot of teams if you're going to go out there as a middle seed that you're going to be playing teams that are going to be able to get after you and knock you out in the first round so um, the higher seed you got this year it's really a big deal and i have no idea how they're going to play because I don't think the coaches or the players really have an idea how they're going to play from game to game, and they've been pretty inconsistent the last you know, month or so. Now, early in the season, um, you could count on them playing good defense every game, really getting after it, being the higher energy team out there and uh, playing a lot of guys with that nine-player rotation and staying fresh. And uh, they're playing the starters or their minutes are normally – way on up uh, McCormick played 36 minutes and 24 seconds uh, against Georgia and that was probably too many minutes and he wasn't fresh down the stretch and uh, a lot of other guys have been playing big minutes too and Austin Wiley was over 27 minutes against Georgia which is more than he normally plays so uh, uh, I think they'll be better in the home games because they seem to to get energized by the crowd and they shoot well in there. It's a really good shooting environment, rims, the lighting, they like all that. But uh, I, I think Tennessee is a game they could certainly lose at home. Ole yeah. Miss is definitely a game they could lose at home because Ole Miss is getting their act together. I don't think they're going to win at Kentucky. They should win at home against Texas A&M, uh, even though Texas A&M is coming on and, had a really nice win uh, on Wednesday night. And then at Tennessee, if Auburn's playing well, it's a game they can go up and, and win. But 
if Auburn plays like they did against Georgia, they're going to lose. Yeah, to me, it, it, it kind of all hinges on um, just just finding a way. And the crazy thing about this season is, is that you look at the Auburn's record and, and you look and, and you go, other than those few games early in the season, this is not a team that, that, we, that you feel like has played its best basketball. Um, yeah. They got hot there early, but they haven't really done it. They've had to grind out every win. Can they find a little confidence? Um, can that start Saturday? I think, I think if, you, if you can start to see a few, a few shots fall and, and find a little confidence, then this team can, can go on a run because I still believe that they've got some good basketball in front of them. But, um, but it's a matter to me of can you do that? We've seen Auburn teams the last couple of years kind of find their stretch this time of year. Um, we'll see if this game can do it. Uh, let's move on to, to football here real quick. Um, uh, Auburn adding some – Support staff guys, you know, every, I, 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 like we get that, I get this question a lot in the off season. Like, why is there so much turnover in the off season? It's like it happens at every college football program with support staff and analysts because you're in a position where you can only go up, and you're trying to, get, you know, get promoted and be an on field coach at some point, and it's happening everywhere. And with Auburn, you know, you see Marcus Davis going to Florida State, and. Uh, Jonathan Rutledge going to Nebraska, Charles Moore going to Kansas. All off field analysts. Uh, Auburn's added a, a couple more, uh, you know, analyst positions. Uh, a longtime Chad Morris analyst is now on the staff, and uh, most recently uh, Doug Goodwin, who had been here at Auburn for quite a while as the director of high school relations, and people knew very well from obviously his days coaching high school football in the state. Uh, he left for Ole Miss to be an analyst, and now Auburn has the replacement in Ross Newton, who is a longtime coach at Samford and actually played at Samford uh, about 15, 16 years ago um, before he was a coach at Samford and obviously has a lot of connections inside the state, uh, Jason. Yeah, he's a guy that I've known now for for a long time. Um, obviously, th- th- maybe the biggest thing about, about Ross is, is that his dad – uh, Bob Newton, longtime yeah. uh, head coach at Homewood High School, was an assistant there before he became the head coach. And so, this is a family that's that's very synonymous with with high school football in the state of Alabama. And and so that's where it starts. But I think you know one of the keys is this is a guy that's also been a college football coach and understands what it what the needs are from that side as well. So I think it's a good move, kind of working with the staff together. And, you know, you got a few connections with, with Auburn and Gus Malzahn with him. Obviously, Red Lashley coached at Sanford with Ross Newton. So there was kind of a, a kind of a, a, a link there. But, you know, Cody Burns was there as well. So there's some familiarity with Ross Newton and the staff. But I think it's a really good move. Um, young, energetic guy um, that knows this state. And uh, I, I like it. And uh, I think he's a guy that could be a big addition. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. And you look at kind of what Auburn is trying to put together here going into to spring practice. So, you know, we've all been got questions about the offensive line and running backs and all that. But, you know, all of us are looking for any morsel of information. And I saw on Instagram and Twitter there was a picture of, uh, of Bo Nix working out, had a chain around his neck and, you know, pulling weights and everything as he was doing a, some type of workout, maybe push-ups or, or something. And uh, – I know it's just a picture, but he seems he seems a little bulkier uh, than he was at the end of last season, and and he he has pretty nice size, but uh, looks like he's trying to ready his body a little bit more here to be maybe be a guy that could take take some hits and and run a little bit more. Well, I think he's certainly going to continue to run the football because if you look at Chad Morris's uh, background, his better offensive teams have had a quarterback who could. And usually ran for about 450 to 500 net yards in a season. And, uh, uh, you know, I think one of the big points of emphasis in the spring is going to be centered around Bo Nix and developing uh, a more sophisticated passing game. And uh, I think that's essential if Auburn is going to be competitive in the SEC because uh, the receivers in this league have certainly become really good and, it's tough on defensive backs to stop folks, even if you got really good people back there, because the rules in college football now favor offenses, and they certainly favor receivers over defensive backs. And uh, you know Auburn's got some talent at the receiver group. They should have more talent coming in with this signing class with four really uh, athletic guys. I think three of them are really big physical type receivers, and then you got Kobe Hudson coming in early, who is a guy that Jason and I first saw, gosh, between his ninth and 10th grade year, and when he got our attention, it's like, this kid has really got that it factor. So, I mean, they've got all this talent at wide receiver. They need to use it. It looks like they're going to have a really good group of tight ends. Chad Morris has a history of throwing the ball to those guys. And uh, if you can get those tight ends matched up against the outside linebacker or even sometimes an inside linebacker, that's a good place to attack defenses, particularly over the middle. So uh, I think if Auburn's offense is going to be one of the best ones in the SEC this year, the passing game is going to have to be a real big part of it. Yeah, I, I agree. You look at Bo. I mean, he's a guy that I think it surprises people that he's a little bit bigger than people think he is. You know, and he's coming out of high school, people thought, well, he's kind of a little bit undersized. And then when you see him, you go, well, he's, he's bigger than I thought he was because – He's more athletic than I think people give him credit for, too. But you're right now. You got a little bit more size to, to help you take uh, maybe an extra hit or two in a running game here or there. I think it's going to be something they do with the RPO system because that's kind of what Bo grew up doing. So you do that, a few more RPOs here or there. But I think to, for me, the one that, that spring is really going to be interesting just to hear the players, to hear those guys talk about what the offense feels like the, the, the differences in those guys, and as Mark mentioned, especially those wide receivers, um, I think that's fun. And then, heck, the, the running backs, that that's as wide open right now as, as any I can remember in a long time. It's going to be a real interesting spring on that offensive side of the ball. And, and heck, we didn't even talk about defense where you, you have to replace some of those uh, the big-timers over there. 
you know, I think as far as the running backs in the passing game, it's like this is a real big opportunity for Auburn to take a step forward in that area because they got several of those running backs. If you get them out one-on-one in the open field, they can make people miss and turn a five-yard gain into something a lot better than that. And, you know, for the last couple of years, Malzahn's talked about the need to increase what he calls explosive plays. And, uh, you know, Auburn was just ordinary in that area last season. And that's a big job for Chad Morris to figure a way out how to get more of those explosive plays. And if you're really good on throwing the football, it's certainly going to open up the possibility for more big running plays because teams just can't commit that extra man up in the box for a running game if they're constantly being threatened with the passing attack. Baseball's off to a hot start, Jason. Um, five and zero to start the season. Um, what, what do you what do you make of the team so far early? I know. I mean, listen, we all know early in the season you're just throwing guys out there, seeing what you got, testing things out. What, what are your main takeaways? I think depth is is the first thing. Um, and you know when you, you bring Butch Thompson in um, that he's going to build around a pitching staff. And so kind of going into this season, you thought – He's got that, like 45 that, pitchers this year. I, right? I, I, I'll, <laughs> and, and somebody was – we were talking about this. Like No question in my mind that this is the deepest Auburn staff – that I have seen in terms of talented arms. And we know going back, there weren't as many numbers before. So you can kind of do the math there. This is probably yeah. as, as deep as, as any staff we've seen. I mean, they keep bringing guys in that are throwing, you know, 90 plus miles an hour. And that's, that's normally something that has been reserved for Florida, Vandy, you know, Arkansas has done it at times too. Um, you know, LSU in, in, you know, years past has done it, but that's not normally something Auburn has been able to do. And you look and obviously you start with with the guys up top and Tanner Burns and Jack Owen, um, those guys who, who threw the ball well on opening weekend. Richard Fitz, who probably going to be back in that long relief role, but he's a really good pitcher as a sophomore. Bailey Horn had a strong start on Sunday. And then the depth kicks in. Cody Greenhill is now an extended closer. Uh, they, you know, thought – the last couple of years that really the second time out for him was kind of been a little bit of a struggle. And so like, Hey, for eating for three innings, three innings on Friday. And then that's pretty much it for the weekend. So one, that one time and heck one win is, is, is a big deal in, in, in sec play. If you can do that, you know, on a weekend, bring him in with a lead and shut the door, then you're in good shape. But they got other guys heck last night was kind of the prime example. I'm thinking, man, Oakland, what do those guys have to be thinking in a 17 to one game? Yeah. When you look at in the ninth inning, Auburn puts true freshman Mason Barnett in those 10 pitches, uh, six of them are 95 miles an hour and four of them are 96 <laughs> miles an hour. And he strikes out the side on 10 pitch. Those guys are like, what, what in the world is this guy doing in the game? <laughs> but he was shut down the entire fall. Like he, he only threw one bullpen at the end of fall after having, uh, just kind of muscle in, you know, back muscle spasms and things as a senior that kind of kept him out. They shut him down. He's going now, and he's a guy that has as much arm talent. I mean, he looks like a young Tanner Burns, one of those guys, and he's a guy yeah. that Tanner pulled me aside one of the first practices in, in the preseason this year and said, just wait. Just, I don't want to jinx him, but this guy's going to be really good. And they got so many arms um, that it's kind of overshadowed, in my opinion, an offense this – kind of rolling with Rankin Woley and Ryan Bliss and these guys really swinging the bat well. Um, so, yeah, they got all the pieces in place. 
Um, we'll see how they stack up this weekend against this probably the the best test other than Georgia yeah. Tech they'll have in the in, in the pre conference schedule with UCF coming in this weekend. Hey, man, I really like watching Bliss. I just man, he's fun to watch. Anyway, go ahead, Mark. Sorry. Yeah, Bliss looks comfortable to play, Brandon. I mean, really does. And uh, you know, one of the fun stories out there is John Samuel Shanker, who yeah. committed to Auburn to play baseball back as a tenth grader, I think it was originally was. And then he changed schools and decided to focus on football and signed a football scholarship. And I think that's been a big surprise to the coaches talking to them about how comfortable he's looked at the plate. He looks like he can hit the ball a long way. He's got a good eye at the plate and uh, he's constantly getting on base. So that's a big deal. But, you know, it's an interesting time to test the depth this weekend as Central Florida comes in because we know that's a good team. Auburn's got two of the starters in the outfield out with hamstring issues. Case and Hal hurt his on opening night. Uh, his, I think, is a little more severe than the one Stephen Williams injured Sunday. He was trying – he stretched – what he, he hit the Jets about halfway between first and second, trying to make sure he didn't get tagged out at second on a hard-hit double to right center field. And uh, he tweaked that hamstring there. So they don't have a lot of depth – Jason, would you say in the outfield? So they're having to do a little bit of a, a switching folks around. Yeah, it's it's kind of you have to, you know, in college baseball, it, in most programs, save for just a couple um, that have some advantages. Um, you have to pick and choose where you want your depth. And for Auburn, obviously, it starts with pitching staff, um, and you know, moving some guys around. Brody Moore's a, a a versatile guy that can play in the outfield. Tyler Miller, junior college transfer, is playing some in the outfield. We've seen. You know, Braden Brown, um, you know, on, on Wednesday night, play out there, a true freshman kid from Morgan Academy in Selma that I went and watched play in a, a state championship game last year, and he was catching then. He's been an infielder, uh, outfielder now for this team, and he's about 5'8 on a good day, and, and he he reminds you of Ron Say and Bob Horner and those guys because when he swings the bat, it, it makes a different sound. So they're trying to figure out ways to maybe try to get him in the lineup some, but you know, they have those guys. Austin Turner is a true freshman that can play in the outfield as well. But, you know, the good news is you got Judd Ward, a guy that can play all three outfield spots. So if you get Stephen Williams back, you can put him in right, keep Judd in center, plug somebody in left field, and then Judd can move back to his natural left field spot, um, you know, when you get Casey Howell back. So, Jason, you know, uh, not not a lot of people been able to watch Auburn baseball so far, but when I've watched it, you know, I've been wondering, hey, what's Tim Hudson going to be doing? Obviously, we know what his role is as the volunteer assistant, but um, just how involved would he be in everything? What have you noticed, you know, in the dugout, on game days, and then also at practices with Tim and what he's doing and adding to the program um, seems very, very, very involved uh, during the game. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for him has been kind of finding – and learning the players because normally you get in a situation and either you help recruit those guys or you're with them in the fall, those kind of things. Well, this has been completely different. So it's been a kind of learning process for everybody involved. But I think the biggest thing is, is that he kind of approaches it on an individual basis. You know, you see a lot of guys and, you know, we've seen them in college baseball, especially where everybody kind of, everybody, well, you have to do the same thing. You have to look the same way. And Tim Hudson, he wasn't that way. He kind of did things his own way and, and figured out this is how I, I throw the best. This is how I do things. And so he, he is not a cookie cutter coach as he, as he said uh, recently to me, but 
I think that's kind of the key is like you'll see him and, and messing with grips here or there, telling guys, hey, try this one out and see what happens. And when you have almost 20 years of, you know, experience in the Major League Baseball and, and, and watching guys do it at the highest level, that's got to be pretty fun for these guys to go, hey, you know, what do you, what, how'd this guy throw this pitch? And, and, you know, but for him it's been comfort and learning. But uh, the thing that helps him tremendously, obviously, is first having Butch Thompson, the guy that's a longtime pitching coach in there. The other thing that's, that's extremely helpful right now is having Matt Scheffler behind the plate as a catcher because they'll turn the game over to Matt Scheffler with those veteran guys on the mound um, and kind of let him work. Now, when, when the true freshman's catching Nate LaRue, then you'll see Tim Hudson much more involved in calling pitches and doing those things to help him out. But, yeah, so it's it's been kind of a really an, an easing in process for everybody involved, but there's no easing in where Tim Hudson's involved because he's as, he's as focused and driven a guy and competitive. You know, that showed as a player when he played and, you know, playing the outfield, pitching, doing those things. It carries over to his coaching too. He wants to see those guys and, hey, there's never a – there's never a wasted moment for them in practice, which is, you know, uniquely different watching them, whether it's, you know, pitcher fielding practice or, or working on bunt coverage, all those things. They're constantly doing those things, and I think it's paid off so far. You know, one of the things that caught my attention, Brandon, um, you know, Cody Greenhill, the bull, has always been so reliant on his fastball and a and he had a pretty sloppy-looking little breaking pitch the last couple of years. But, I mean, Friday night he came out there, and he was throwing a late-breaking, crisp curveball that the hitters just couldn't get on. And uh, if he keeps throwing like that, he's going to be really tough to deal with. And, uh, you know, I'll, the, the Sunday game, I was there and covered that. And, uh, you know, I just thought three – Three or four of those guys, they all looked really good. They were around the plate. Um, you know, they didn't walk a lot of guys. The strike stuff, strikeouts to innings pitch ratio is really good on this team. I think it's 62 strikeouts in 43 innings. And uh, uh, they just they just look like they know what they're doing out there in the mound. And I think that's uh, Tim Hudson doing some good work. And, of course, Butch Thompson being a part of that, too. I I would say that, my goodness gracious, we know all Butch Thompson's exploits over the years, and you add Tim Hudson to the mix there to handle those pitchers as well. That's maybe the most formidable duo you'll find in the SEC, if not the nation. I mean, that, that's that's insane team. Really, really neat to see how it transfers over to the recruiting world as well. Yeah. I'm, obviously, Randy, you know from Butch's time at Mississippi State, time here – Carl Nonamaker and Gabe Gross, this is a very, very strong recruiting staff, and that is the lifeblood of anything, but especially in college baseball, where you have to, you kind of have to beat the bushes because, you know, I, kind of laughingly used to, used to talk about with, with Hal Baird and others, like you have to sign a really good player, but not too good because you, you, if they're too good and they get drafted in the first round, right. you lose. You want to sign a guy that's really good but not quite good good enough to be drafted in the first round and so the more of those guys you get the more of them you get on campus um the more opportunities you have to compete with you know make it to the college Warriors series and compete for you know the ultimate goal which is a national championship great stuff guys that's going to do it for the round table this week thanks for joining us uh, for mark and for jason i'm brandon 
We'll see you down the road. No one has it covered like 24-7 sports. Go undercover with Auburn Undercover. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.